Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio. We are a political podcast by and for millennials, maybe some Gen Xers, from a left-wing millennial perspective-ish. I'm Travis. <laughs> I'm Rachel. That was an interesting... Uh... Hedging a little, yeah, today. I don't know why. <laughs> being very non-committal about where what we this are, podcast is about. What we're doing, where we are, where, what perspective we're, we're coming we are, from. We, what's happening. Existential crises all around. Yeah. Um, it's Saturday, February 1st, 2019. We've been off the air for a hot minute for reasons that we don't need to get into. Um but January was a trying month. It feels like we say that every month <laughs> lately. I don't know. There's been a, a lot of um, consensus around January being the longest month of the year. Like somebody on Twitter was like, hello, today is January 72nd. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just been it's just been hard and and stressful. And I mean, for us personally and also just like in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um it's just been a fucking shit show. So I'm sorry we haven't been in your ears, but we're back. And thanks for um, staying tuned. And our neighbors apparently have an elephant. That they, <laughs> a herd of uh, elephants. A herd of elephants. And they're coming also up and down the stairs. Bowling. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry. So if don't mind that. There's any. God, what is happening? Okay, sorry. Um, we live in an apartment building in the middle of a city, so things happen. Yeah. Yeah. If you must know, we live in an apartment building. With a uh, a car broken down that we own that we're trying to get fixed and it's taking forever and people are mad about that and it's just a whole it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's oh. just been it's just you know just been yeah a <laughs> whole thing. It's just been yeah. It's a good way to say it. And and we're dealing with some um, sort of directly people experiencing homelessness backlash from our building. Mm-hmm. And that's been really upsetting. Eye-opening? Eye yeah, well, I wouldn't say so, no. It's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, but just, like, really disappointing that, like, uh, our city has a camping ban, as they call it, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, people experiencing homelessness are not allowed to be outside in any sort of, um, I think the... The ordinance specifically says tents, tarps, blankets. So you can't be in a public place sitting down with a blanket mm-hmm. in our city, which we tried to overturn this last election cycle. And the voters roundly rejected the idea that we should not criminalize people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, Colorado State Supreme Court overturned that and said it was unconstitutional, cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Um and then the city attorney's office decided that on appeal, because they appealed that, um, they could continue enforcing the camping ban. And, God, that is so loud. Um, anyway, we've just had some direct experience with it, and it's just really heartbreaking how lack of compassion uh, exists. Your sense of comfort is not more important to me than people being able to survive, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not exactly sure where the discomfort comes from, because... Oh, I do. Yeah, The but discomfort comes from having to reckon with visibly and in your face and in your space... In, indigence and um, suffering People and not being misery. able to afford to live in the city, and yeah. they don't, you know, white people don't want to do that. They would just rather not have that. It's the, the NIMBY argument, right? Yeah. 
people experiencing homelessness will exist, but just not near me, because then I might have to like really think critically about why they are experiencing homelessness and what a failure our system is that there are so many folks that are experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And then I might have to like, you know, care or do something, I guess. Or just feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, just... Even if there's not anything you think you could do or that you are in any way responsible. Right. Just feeling bad. No one wants to it feel just, bad. It just makes me feel bad. Which like, doesn't it make you feel worse to kick them out? Well... It makes for, me feel worse. For us. <laughs> like, they're not bothering well, anyone. A, they're just literally trying to survive. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Right. Yeah. If I don't have to see it, then I don't have to feel it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So... That, um, you may have heard this impeachment thing is careening to a screeching halt. Um, I'm not going to go over everything, but just, there's probably still... Full disclosure, like, I I am not following this because I just already know what's going to happen. Well, and you were right. So there was all this, this past week, there was all this big... Uh, debate and angst and wonder like are the Republicans going to allow actual witnesses in the Senate quote trial mm-hmm. and to nobody's surprise the answer is no and they came up with some very ridiculous convoluted mm-hmm. uh, logic twisting uh, rationale for why they voted not to do it with the exception of two votes Susan Collins and Mitt Romney those were the two hall passes given out they didn't even want to have to go to a tie for Roberts to ignore. It was 51-49. Of course, Republicans controlled the Senate, so they said, no, we don't need witnesses. And <laughs> the, I want to talk about a couple of people who did bother to comment. Um, one of them was Lamar Alexander, who, you know, the MSNBC daytime crowd was like, oh, maybe he'll do the right thing. Maybe he'll you know, screw Remind over his best is. friend, Mitch McConnell. Uh, he's a, he's a, a long, very long-serving senator. And, you know, he's what they call a moderate now, but he's absolutely not moderate at all. Right. Moderate nowadays. Back in the day would be like hard right, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just not like an outward mega Trumpster. Right. Um, But, you know, Claire McCaskill, oh, he's my friend and he might do the right thing. And, you know, obviously bullshit. But what he basically said was even more galling was he said, yeah, I know Trump did it. Whatever. (laughs) <laughs> that was it right I mean Lisa Murkowski came out and said I mean um, what Murkowski said was even more ridiculous right but, but Lamar Alexander I mean it took like 25 tweets but basically the bottom line was I don't need to see any more evidence I know he's guilty but uh, I don't care right okay okay that's that's a position right I mean Ted Cruz basically said just because this is like impeachable doesn't mean we should impeach yeah, that's sort of what Alexander said. I mean, I'm not even counting Cruz. Cruz was never in doubt. Right? right, but I mean, just like the the mental gymnastics that's going on with the Republicans who are trying to be like, we respect the Constitution because we're always yelling about the Constitution, and now mm-hmm. I'm just going to flagrantly ignore it. Mm-hmm. The the mental gymnastics around how they're doing that is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Ted Cruz is, you know, obviously a garbage person, but his thing was like, just because you committed a crime doesn't mean you should like he's like a jury nullifier right like there are people who go to criminal trials and courts Mm -hmm. including here in Colorado which there's an interesting case about this that are called jury nullifiers and they go in and they're protesters essentially 
and they hand out literature to potential jurors that says even if this crime is proven, right, that this person committed this crime, as a jurist, you are allowed to not convict that person mm-hmm. on the basis of not thinking that that crime should be illegal. So things like, you know, if you're going to a jury for a guy who was convicted of, like, selling pot, you're allowed to be, like, not guilty. It's called jury nullification. A bunch of people got arrested in Denver for doing that because it was working. Um, And then they won, ultimately, because it's free speech. Yeah. But that's essentially Ted Cruz's point, which is, like, a very leftist point of view, which is, like, even though this is a crime... I don't think it's in the nation's best interest to convict him of Yeah, crime. what they're basically saying is, well, we don't really believe in p- impeachment at this point. Right. It's obviously bullshit. Right. <laughs> we, <laughs> like, and like Monica Lewinsky came out and was like, it's interesting that you can have no witnesses, but like, do you remember my testimony? Mm-hmm. Right? Like I had to testify about incredibly personal details about my sex life. In front of Congress, because that was what was required to impeach Well, this someone. week we and also like, had Ken Starr, of all people, get up there and uh, say impeachment's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. I mean, it. it's just, it, like, I... It's a partisan exercise. Yeah, no shit. You helped make it that way. I... I try not to get too far into, like, the hypocrisy of the Republican Party, because I think it's, like, a rabbit hole that's useless to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this case is, like, one of those where you're just like, this is so absurdly bad. Yeah. And then, I mean, we knew it was coming, so we're not surprised. Uh, We're certainly angry, but we, we also, like, knew. It's not like... You know, it's not like we went in, we put on, think of a movie with an obvious villain. Right. Um, And like, you know, the ending, you're not going to like, well, this time, you know, Emperor Palpatine's going to, you know. Come around to the right side. (laughs) Like He's going to see the error of his ways. (laughs) This isn't Darth Vader. This is Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we know how this ends, so... Like, you can get emotionally invested in it, but, like, don't walk out being surprised. Well, and I think to your point, because you've been following this much more closely than I have, um, I haven't been following it precisely because I don't need to be emotionally invested in something that I am very clear about what the end is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, like, TikTok of it is not interesting because it's like just a bunch of grandstanding and bullshit and gaslighting. I mean, I still find it interesting because it's history. Yeah. I I find it to be a little triggering and gaslighting. Like I don't need to hear them tell me why they didn't vote for it. They didn't vote for it. To your point the other day, other ways of justifying it are just comical. And is because they've already decided that it is better to suffer the fallout of not doing it mm-hmm. than to, to let the whole house of cards crumble yeah. actually reveal the truth and then really like under like let the people understand what really happened well and they all the flip side of that is if they're either really dumb or they don't have the foresight or they've calculated enough to say okay that truth is going to come out it's just going to leak out slowly with the bolton book and maybe parnas testimony maybe the democrats do hold more hearings but you know we'll fight those with subpoenas forever and so it'll right. it'll it'll just drip slowly, right. which could be worse politically. Yeah. But like what they were not going to risk is just having the whole thing blow up here. Right. And, They're here not going to risk the Star Report. Right. Yeah. The Watergate hearings. Like they just don't want to do that. So they've just decided like we'd well, rather have the backlash mm-hmm. from the cover up than the backlash from what really happened. Yeah. And we'll take the backlash from the cover up because we can cover it in. We can gaslight in a number of ways. Well, we had the equivalent of the Watergate hearings. We just had a collective shrug from the country about it. 
Um, remember, Nixon never got to impeachment in the Senate. Like right. they were going to vote for the articles of impeachment and he stepped down because yeah. he knew he was going to lose. Yeah. Right. You know, in this case, the Senate held well, together for Trump. And and in his case, he was under no weird illusion that they wouldn't present the evidence. Like back then, it was obvious that there was so much evidence, yeah, and, he, like audio. He fought and, like, it to a point, but like when yeah. subpoenas came, he's like, "Well, that's the law. We right. have to. Get, we have we, to follow the law. This is Nixon. Yeah, like, even Nixon above the law to an extent. Um, but at some point, like, oh, you have to follow subpoenas and like witnesses yeah. and shit. So I'll just step down. Like we're not. We're so far past that now that like. Yeah, it's not that Nixon did not do all kinds of illegal shit. He certainly did. He did, but he also, like, followed... I don't know. He listened to the judicial branch, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he fought it, but once they came down... That was that. That was that. And he respected the judicial branch, the third branch of government, the co-equal branch of government, and said, like, if they say I have to do this, I have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And Trump is just not doing that he's just sort of saying like a king or an emperor i don't have to do what i don't want to do and who's going to make me and the people who would make him right and i thought what what the gop senators might do was just be that craven and say well we didn't see the evidence therefore we can't do anything uh but instead what they're saying is now we don't even need to see the evidence because I mean, like, sure, the, you got the, the hardcore Trumpists who just say, you know, fake news, whatever. But then, right. like, the people who want to pretend to be objective, and I guess even Ted Cruz is in this column to yeah. some extent, are saying, no, 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 we don't need to see any more evidence because the House managers made their case and they're right, but we just don't care. Right. Or we don't care enough to do anything about it. Or, you know what? We don't believe in impeachment. <laughs> the founders were wrong. Right. You know that constitution that we like to wave around? Yeah, well, that part of it's no good anymore. So, like, that's an argument. Which, like, You can make it. Is super good interesting luck. because I feel this weird, like, <laughs> the same way with, like, the FISA courts, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, I'm against that too, right? And... With this sort of flagrant sort of like brushing off of the Constitution of and the founders by the Republican Party, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, like, let's let's really like reform and rethink about like how this country was, you know, uh, formed and under what terms and reasons and like all of that. Yeah, maybe but the Constitution, <laughs> the fa- maybe the founders weren't the greatest guys in the world. They believed that owning people was fine. No, no, right? no, they, no they they, they totally are until there's something that's inconvenient. For right. Them. They're never going to go back and look at like like what you said. Right. That, you know that only white men are considered people. And, right. You know when they like that's a thing. thing I agree with them on. Like the founders were kind of shit. Yeah. But then they're like, no, 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 they were great except this one thing about impeachment. Uh, but not even that. Here's 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 the problem here's where you can get really really depressed and you and i are kind of halfway there mm-hmm. especially the media does this they're like well they can't do that or they can't say this because it's going to turn around and it's like well that doesn't matter anymore no because let's let's project ourselves a couple years into the future here and joe biden well maybe not okay let's pretend in some bizarre universe biden wins but there's a republican house Mm-hmm. And they're going to impeach Joe Biden for something. For some he, Ukrainian he, thing, right? They found out he took a bribe mm-hmm. once. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, right. 
And then, okay, so the pundits are going to stick a microphone in their face and say, wait a minute, you said impeachment was, you mm-hmm. know, who cares? Mm-hmm. What, what do, and then they'll be like, no, I didn't say that. Or they'll say, well, this, this is, is different. different. And that's it. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The thing that's the most frustrating for me about this entire process, well, there's two things. One is this idea among liberals especially, not so much progressives, but liberals especially, is, well history and legacy and and you know history is yeah. going to prove this and that and there's, he's going to be a pariah to that. I did I think that's bullshit. I saw George W Bush on Oprah. <laughs> he's a fucking beloved political figure at this point. But, and I don't well, think that's not by ind- everybody. I, but uh, Michelle Obama thinks he's a really swell guy. Yeah. He's a nice guy who draws paintings and he's super nice and we all like him and want to have a beer with him and yeah. it's like we said back then, right? Mm-hmm. History will tell the tale of George W. Bush. History will make him the pariah that he should be. History will prove the war crimes that he committed and the atrocities he committed upon Middle Eastern people and in the states and with all economy. kinds of. I mean, I mean, is that happening? Are you seeing any of that historically with George W.? I'm not. Uh, Everyone's like, oh, he's so cute. In an abstract way, because I think it's helped set the stage for Trump, but also the flip side of that is. Trump is so bad, we're almost right. wistful yes. for a George W. Yeah, Bush Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Is because like, George oh, he's W. Bush cute. may have had a soul. He's cute, and he like followed the rules, and he wasn't like raping people that we know of. And like, yeah, maybe he doesn't feel he complete now. contempt, even though his his actions and his policies did. Like, I remember living through George W. Bush, yes. and it was what I thought at the time the worst, the worst, the worst we, could get. we could get yeah and i mean i was in political science i was in college for political science at the time and even my professors then were like i am not trying to be political about this but i do think that he will go down as like one of the worst presidents in history and and he was until and like this, <laughs> this was my guy. presidential politics teacher and she said and i think his father will go down as like one of the better ones mm. which she's from south carolina like whatever but like I think she was hedging, right, on that to try to be like... I think even conservatives think he was mediocre. Right. She was... We were in the middle of war. We had just gotten into the war. It was like 2005. Uh, And she was trying to be like, at least his dad got a coalition of Middle Eastern countries to sign on. Sure. And he didn't do that. that He got like Poland and shit. That hard to do. Right. But like, my feeling about him when he was the president for two terms was that like this is the worst we can get and he is the worst we can get and now to see like liberals and democrats sort of embrace him is like i don't know that i mean this is next level for sure trump but like i don't know that we can count on like histories and legacies and also what does that do for me right now right well again go back back to making that point again that uh, (laughs) yeah like you know People get very excited and they put these things on Twitter and on MSNBC of Lindsey Graham in 1998, you know, making a speech yeah. about Clinton that's 180 of what he's saying now. And what? Yeah. And, and what? And, and, and what's the consequence? Where's the accountability? Did, did he have a change of heart? Was he so embarrassed he couldn't take to the floor and help, you know, ram through this cover up? No. No. It's, who cares? He's so a, pointing out the hypocrisy, I think, is the thing that I find the least useful. Because it doesn't matter. Well, I think it matters when you're talking about independence and people who don't understand the history. And to for educational sake, sure. But ultimately, if you're just using that, thinking it's going to spur some kind of change. Right. Right. That's that's I guess that's my point. Right. Yeah. Is like just pointing out hypocrisy 
is not helpful right now. No, like and we and we can see it. We know it. It doesn't hypocrisy matter. doesn't move politicians either. No. Like it's part of the job. They go in knowing like. I'm going to say the sky is red tomorrow and then on Thursday I'll have to say the sky is blue and I'll just disavow saying the sky was red or I'll say you misinterpreted me. Like that's yep. part of the gig. Yeah. They don't care. Even no. Democrats. I'm not like. No, this like, is not party affiliated. Like, like right? Republicans have really taken it to the nth degree, but like the people we love and respect do it all the time too. It's it's kind of part of the gig. So, like, they're not moved by their own hypocrisy. No, see Joe Biden on, like, the... And everything. War on drugs. And, and Bernie. And crime and Bernie and, yeah. like, all and of Hillary them. Hillary and everybody. All, all of them, right? Like, yeah. every... It's not... This is not partisan. This is just part of politics. And so mm-hmm. pointing it out, while it may feel good to be like, see yeah. how wrong they are, it doesn't help anything. No. It's not It doesn't useful. change anything. It doesn't change anybody's mind. It doesn't and, and it, it's move the needle. No. No. At all. And I'm tired. Like, every time I scroll past one of those, it's just like, I just scroll past it. Like, I, I don't know, need to see. It. I don't care. I don't care what he said in 1980 yeah. or 90 or what. Let's, let's I, talk about what's happening What now. is happening and what are we doing? Right? Yeah. So, like, yes, this person said a thing. Ugh. But what are they saying now and, and how does that square with how you feel about the world? Is, I think, the question we need to be asking ourselves. So, the cover-up will be complete early next week. Mm-hmm. I think by Wednesday... Uh, of course, who knows what else is going to leak out before then and mm. embarrass them more, but they, it's Doesn't baked matter. in. Yeah, it's baked in. It doesn't matter. They it doesn't don't care. Matter. They're but, fully and, and that was their out, too, because what Alexander did was more clever than people give him credit for diabolically, because he could have said, I'm, I'm sure the first draft was something like, I didn't see enough evidence, or I didn't, there, there wasn't a compelling enough case to make me think we need more, to need to see witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then McConnell's probably like, eh, Bolton's out there, he's leaking shit, Parnas is yapping, let's tweak that a little. So, and same thing with Burkowski's was another flavor of bullshit. Oof. But like, you know, what, what people like Cruz and Rubio and the and these people are saying is like, no, 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 we know, we know he's guilty, but fuck it. And so like, yeah, if John Bolton comes out with like photos and and text messages and voicemails tomorrow like who cares we already said we know he did it and we're moving on so i'd just like to quickly if i can frame this in terms of like a normal criminal trial (laughs) okay okay like if we just imagined that like the president wasn't the president but was just a citizen and he was being tried for a crime Mm -hmm. what would have happened so what would have happened was, in this case, um, the prosecutor decided to hold a grand jury. Mm-hmm. The grand jury's purpose is to decide whether or not this person, there's enough probable cause, right? This is not beyond a reasonable doubt. There's no. just probable cause to try to to charge this person with a crime. To indict when we're talking about grand right. juries. So in, to indict this person, right? To say, this person, we, we decided to indict them for this crime. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in the House. So they presented the evidence, and the grand jury came back and said, yeah, yo, this person, like, I don't know if they did it or not, but there's enough here to go to a jury trial, right? Yeah, right. This gets into how this has become very problematic, right? Because the quote-unquote judge is the chief justice of the United States. and Well, that's in the Senate. Well, that's, yeah. But, right. But, but so once they, we'll, right, so like trial. once the grand jury says, which is in the case, in this case, the House, uh, says, okay, we've seen enough to know that, like, 
there's enough evidence here to at least like put the guy on trial, right? So we put the guy on trial, and yeah, in this case, the the judge is Chief Justice John Roberts. And make worse, the quote jury mm-hmm. is the United States Senate. Yes. Now the the Constitution very explicitly states, as does precedent from previous impeachment rules, that like now, okay, I know that you're probably partisan, but you have to cosplay. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. a, a regular old blank slate juror. Right. Senate Republicans didn't even bother putting up that right. front. So they, like in a normal jury trial, right, the defense attorney and the prosecutor would do what's called voir dire. And that is when they get to like interrogate the jurors and say, how do you feel about what color people. crime? How do you feel about black people? How do you feel about Child murderers? Have you it ever had someone in your life being murdered if it's a murder trial? Right. Yes. Like to try to assess people's biases the best that you can right so that you can get a jury that is as impartial as you can or, or helps your side really what it is is to help your side the most right. right so like a black mother whose child has been murdered by police is going to be stricken by the prosecutors if we're trying a cop for killing a black kid right depends yeah on how, right how many how yeah. many they've allotted and it's complicated but yeah. we don't get to do that with the senate right senate is the senate it's voted on by us there is no voir dire so we have a jury pool of people who are just who they are. But the point is, the Constitution says you have to respect what the House has done here, and you have to be an impartial juror. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even pretend to do that. No, so what, right, that's what I was going to say. I'm yeah. just trying to like the jury make foreman. it. I'm trying to make it like so that people can understand sure. from like a basic like if you watch Law and Order, right? Yes. So okay, so then we don't get to pick our jurors. They're just all of the senators. So then you go in and. What happens is you present an opening argument, prosecution presents an opening argument, and then you have a trial. And the trial includes evidence, evidence. and witnesses yes. from documents, exhibits. Right, both sides to say, here the prosecution says, here's the evidence I have that would convict this person. And the defense says, here are the here's the evidence that I have, or the witnesses that I have, or whatever, that you know, exculpate my defendant. In this case, the prosecution, right, the DA, is the Republican-held majority of the Senate, right? They're the people prosecuting this. Sort of, And so Mitch McConnell gets to decide— It's still kind of the House, because it's the House managers who are making the case. Right, but— but. I I think Mitch McConnell's more like the jury foreman. So who decides that there's no witnesses and no evidence going to be presented? That's the Senate. Right. So that's the prosecution, essentially, right? Like, if it would be as though you were going to try someone for murder because the grand jury said you had to, it was, right? It's more like the And then judge. you just said, I'm not going to do it. Okay, it's not a problem. I'm not going to do it. It's I'm just not, not going to provide any evidence. And then the defense is like, well... No, I, I would say a better analogy is that... Uh, McConnell, Roberts is there, but McConnell is more like the judge and jury foreman. (laughs) And he's saying, you know, I'm not allowing any evidence, which a judge could in theory do. Yes, of course. You can always block things. Right. Of course. Not that the prosecution would, because the prosecution is still Adam Schiff and the House managers. And those were the people who were making the case, the arguments to right. indict the president or to right. remove the president right. from office at this point. So that would be like if the judge in this case were so I know the defendant is innocent so we're just going to, you know, 
put on this little trial for you and then get it done as soon as possible, which is literally what McConnell said. Right. I mean, it's such a conflict of interest that like the people who decide whether or not there's allowed to be a legitimate trial are like, it'd be like if it was my brother and I was on trial and he was just like, nope, that's out, that's out, that we don't need any evidence. It's, we already know he's yeah. innocent. It's fine. And the point is that's not supposed to be that way. Can you imagine if you were watching Law and Order and that happened? You'd be like, this is outrageous, right? <laughs> but yeah, the point is it's not supposed to be that way. As partisan right. as anything is, you're supposed to take what the House has said seriously and at least feign that you're an impartial juror. And that is what uh, Democrats did under Clinton. Now, they yeah. may have not meant it. They may have just known how to bullshit. But they allowed it to happen. They allowed and it. They allowed, they allowed the... all the witnesses. Mm-hmm. They, they said, we're going to go through this whole process here. Because that is the rule of law. Yes. This is how this works. You didn't have to like that. You could have thought, oh, it's bullshit. It's over a blowjob. Well, nope. The House has like they, submitted the articles of impeachment. And right. now we have to be jurors and decide because this is our constitutional duty. We have yes. read that document. Right. And we have right. sworn an oath to uphold it. Right. The Republican Senate just said, ah, oh, fuck this. Fuck it. Yeah, there's no rules anymore. Fuck it. There's no rules. We make the rules. Just whatever. decided we're not going to do that. So no, never mind. And like my concern is that I wonder what the Joshes of the world think about this. And we'll find out tonight, but I uh, wonder like good luck. How how this is being perceived. Is it being perceived the way that we perceive it, which is like this was a sham. These people are bought and sold. They don't care. The constitution is being shredded. It's fine. Well, the polls Or are they say just that. like ugh, why did we impeach him over some Ukraine thing? It seems like he had a phone call. Who cares? Like I don't know. I don't know how the average Joe is feeling about this, and I'm worried that they're just like, oh, I don't really get all that. Like, it seems like he didn't get impeached, so, like, what were we doing anyway? Why didn't we impeach him back in 2016? Like, what, what, it, this is some, it just feels like trumped up bullshit, like, because some phone call to Ukraine. Do you know, like, that's my concern, is that there's no, like, the punditry is not, I don't think, doing a good job of explaining what's happening and why it's important. And mm-hmm. I don't think that the average person is following it because it's not about a blowjob. Right. It's about a phone call. Or they just tune out and say, oh, it's partisan fighting, whatever. We'll, Everybody we'll hates the... Trump, so of course they wanted to impeach him eventually, and now but it's that, over some phone call. That's right? also the angle that Lamar Alexander took. He kind of closed with saying, ah, if you don't like what Trump did, you know, go vote him out. It, you know, if you don't care, then vote for him. And it's like, I could see like the Josh of the world going, yeah, yeah, we got an election coming up. Let's, we'll decide it then. Right. And That's exactly what Josh told me six months ago. Yeah. So my real concern about that is that this well, is there's a, a lot of concerns about that. Real logical <laughs> fallacy. Right. So we're yeah. saying it's perfectly acceptable for a president to withhold foreign aid and any other mechanism that he would like in order to gain reelection. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can fuck with the election as much as I want in order to gain re-election because right. that is my power. Yeah, the whole reason he's being impeached is because he's trying to in, he's trying to interfere Influence in the next election, yeah. his own re-election. Right. And the only way to stop him from doing that is to win an election. <laughs> right. Which is like, uh, so yeah, he can was- do whatever he wants to interfere in the election, and the only way to prevent that or take him out of office is to win an election that is going to be rigged by law it's like allowable like like, that doesn't make any sense it's like you're 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 coaching uh, your baseball team right and the other team is cheating they're stealing signs they're 
you know, using pine tar. They're doing all this illegal shit. And you go to the umpire and you said, hey, they're cheating. And the umpire says, if you don't like it, you just got to beat them. Just got to beat them. And you're like, no, but I can't beat them if they're cheating, right? Because they're literally cheating in front of your face. And he's like, yeah, but Too like, bad. they're the winning team right now. So you better just figure out a way to beat them. And it's like, if I literally structurally cannot beat them because they've rigged it in a way that it's impossible, then mm-hmm. it, this is just fine now. It's It's very like... Disheartening. Alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, going back to what we said before, like, all of that is true and none of that is surprising. Mm-hmm. Right. We do not have um, principled people. Well, let's, let's get into what Murkowski said, because that's oh. even more infuriating. She basically said, this exercise has become so partisan yes. that we'll never get a fair trial. Yep. Therefore, Therefore, I don't want any trial. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... Um, that's not how this works. That's like that would be like saying. Does she know she's gonna lose? When Murkowski? Yeah. No, she's safe. I don't know. If you're thinking of Collins, she's in trouble. But I think Murkowski. You safe. think so? She's in Alaska. Uh, people don't like her, but maybe it's no. Just they do like her. They do like her in Alaska. She she has more freedom to do shit like that. Um, it it. I'm trying to think of an analogy here for that. It would it would be like saying, like you're the coach of that team and you go to the umpire and say they're cheating, and you're like, well, since they're cheating, I will help them cheat more. I will show them the signs they can steal. Right. And, like yeah. I have the power to disqualify them from this match because they were cheating, but because I feel like you have a vested interest in saying that they were cheating. And it's somehow to your advantage. I'm just gonna help them cheat because at this point there is no way to. Or stop I'm so them. I'm so disgusted. It's like, but that's I'm so disgusted thing. by the cheating that I'm right. Won't that's get the involved. thing that's so frustrating is all of these fucking senators coming out on Twitter and being like, "This is a sham." Blah blah blah. I especially Susan Collins, um, in particular, uh, and and Murkowski being like. It's as though they're not the people literally in charge of this. They're literally like, I as a citizen cannot well, do Col- something Collins about this. Well, Collins got the hall pass to vote for witnesses. and But like, but what, just to finish my thought, like, as a citizen, I cannot make this right. Mm-hmm. But you as a senator proclaiming that there's something really terrible going on. And then voting for that terrible thing and being like, what do we do? It's terrible. It's like, do your job? Do literally your job? Like, this is her being like, this is terrible. It's so partisan. And and we're never going to get a fair trial. Therefore, I don't want a fair trial. (laughs) What the fuck is that? That's what she said. Just get a fucking fair trial. You literally have a voice, a vote. I don't have one. You have one. Yeah. No one's going to give us a fair trial. So I guess I'll vote against a fair trial. It's like... it makes my brain want to explode. Yeah. And yeah. people are like, that makes sense. I'm like, how no, does that make I, sense? Nobody, I've never heard any, I've not heard anybody uh, saying what Murkowski so said made sense. It's or just, Lamar Alexander. It's just, it's just, I mean, they've got some good spinsters on, on the R side. They really do. They always have, or at least in the last like 40 years, they've just nailed it. Mm-hmm. This point where you can just do these mental gymnastics and this message in a way that just like sort of goes, okay. Well, these these messages are well crafted because you can come back and say that's ridiculous, but what else can you say? 
like again, I'll go back to over this next week, we might get so a deluge of information mm-hmm. from Bolton and Parnas and and SDNY and Giuliani and God knows what that like he was so incredibly guilty. It's just beyond mm-hmm. imagination. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you already have Lamar Alexander saying, "Yeah, we know he's guilty." Like that's it. The, the right. door is closed. Right. We know he's guilty, and we're not going to convict him. Right. That's that. So, I mean, I wish that that was the case in, like, criminal defense trials, right? (laughs) Jury nullification is super helpful. Uh, But not for something like this, where it's like, he's guilty, we know it, and also, I don't care. It Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, and, like, we don't want to disrupt... The country, national well, you, security has been a thing that's been thrown around a couple have of to, times. What you have like, to infer what? is that we don't like that section of the Constitution anymore. Of course, they, they can't say that explicitly. We don't like it oh, since you can't, you can't say you don't love the Constitution because we fetishize the Constitution. Yes, and the founders. Yeah, but like, but that that's what you're saying. <laughs> like, Even if you don't say it, that's what you're saying. Like, They think that we can't you know, make the logical that leap in very small leap in logic there. But you're right. Like the Joshes of the world, maybe not so much of them, but like when you look at the end of the polling, like 80% of the public was like, yeah, we should have witnesses at a full on trial. And they didn't get that. Now, is that anger from, I mean, from us, we know it's going to be sustained, right? But from like Josh, everybody else, he thought it was pointless in the beginning. He thinks it's pointless now. Um, I think there's also a feeling among the Joshes of the world that, um, it's so broken at this point that like no one expected a fair trial even though we wanted one everybody including people on the right on the left and in the middle and the don't cares and the independents yeah we want that but like no one expected it no one was like we're gonna have a fair trial against President Trump right like so it's we the, understand the that like we are so broken that there was never it was never gonna happen so like that's what's sort of shocking to me is like looking at like actual people's reaction and then like the breathless punditry being like, this is so shocking. Oh my God. Can, <laughs> Can you believe, believe this? I have, I've got the, the vapors, I've yeah. got the vapors. Like nobody's fucking shocked. Everyone's like, yeah, of course the Republicans aren't going to do shit to Trump, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? Yeah. And I think the, what's the point is the thing that hurts Democrats the most. Because I think most people are like, why did we go through this exercise? Right. We already knew what was going to happen, so what was the point? And, like, I see a point, but, like, I I can feel that feeling, too. Right? Well, I you know, I, I think they, they we made it so blatant, made them be so blatant mm-hmm. about their cover-up mm-hmm. that, yeah, I think it matters. I do, too. And we, and we had to. Like, there was no way we could have just not done anything. I mean, that would have been so much worse. I agree. Um, I think... And, and and I think most reasonable people uh, knew the way this was going to go. And that's yeah. what we said that weeks ago. Like, yeah. the, the idea here is not that Republicans' hearts are going to grow 10 sizes like the Grinch. It's <laughs> that we're we going to expose them for being implicit them, in a huge cover-up. Yeah, we're going to make them go on record. Yeah. And that's what we did. And that's what we did. And we'll see I don't know shakes out. if it matters. I hope it does. But I don't know that it does. It would matter if the election was next week. But, you know... We'll have to. Then we be accused of being even more partisan than you know. And so much more is going to come out, and it's it's all about how the media is going to frame it. Now, on the topic of like shooting ourselves in the foot about it, if you were a Republican strategist, 
and you know you had the bloodbath. I guess it was just yesterday, two days ago. You had the, the, the bloodbath in the media and everybody is losing their mind and it's a cover-up. And you were a Republican strategist to be like, boy, what could we use as a nice, big, fat, juicy distraction today? I would Iowa s- caucus? I would say, yeah, related to that, I would say, what if we started a big, dumb, or what if there was a big, dumb food fight with the Bernie people and the Hillary people slinging shit at each other? And guess what we did as progressives? We said, okay. That sounds like a great plan. Thanks for the idea. (laughs) Let's do that. Hillary's not running, by the way. I just want to come out at the top saying that. Yeah, so you know more about this. I thought it was a little more recent. Hillary said at some interview a long time ago. So here's, this is what I know. From like sort of inside media person. There's a documentary that was... uh, shown at Sundance Mm -hmm. about Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, Very controversial. And we don't know when this particular part of the interview was filmed, but it wasn't like she went on the Sunday talk shows to talk about this last week. This was filmed a long time ago and then like produced and then like submitted to Sundance and then leaked. So this is years ago. Okay. In which she said that nobody likes Bernie Sanders and people don't like working with him. Okay. That's what she said. All right. And... I think that's probably true. It's also unnecessary. It's also a stupid thing to say. Yeah. And when she said it, God knows when she said it, probably like, I don't know, March of 2017, she was kind of mad. Yeah. Right? Um, I, okay. I think that's probably true. I don't know that you needed to say it on a documentary. Nope. Um, but it's not like, like it's this perception that like Hillary Clinton is going around to all the shows saying that nobody likes Bernie Sanders is absolutely not true. Sure, but either way, it, okay. I just want. I just think that's important to note. Okay. Hillary Clinton is not on a campaign to destroy Bernie Sanders's chance of the nomination for the Democratic Party currently. Okay. That is not what is happening, and that is a falsity that like is really driving a lot of this. But then, in the last few days, Bernie's surrogates because he's got so, the worst fucking surrogates. Yeah, it got leaked, and I don't think the timing is unintentional. And it's very unfortunate, and she shouldn't have said it out loud. She shouldn't have said it for a documentary. She had no control over when that documentary was going to come out. It came out because if you're a documentarian and you have this footage, what better time than right before the Iowa caucuses to release the documentary for full, like, I want all the media, right, to watch my fucking movie. I want my movie all over the fucking internet, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense. So it's stupid. She shouldn't have said it. Um... It's not helpful. It's not good. Um, I think her response to it was also entirely wrong. She mm-hmm. came out and said, oh, I thought you wanted me to be more authentic. And it was like, fuck, fuck off, Hillary. <laughs> fuck directly off. No, we're not. Yeah, understand. Fuck directly off. We are not Team Hillary or Team Bernie here. We're Team... Not Trump. All of you idiots shut the fuck up. Just not... Donald Trump is the president. So fuck you, Hillary. Shut the fuck up. Stop talking. You should have been like, I gave that interview three years ago and didn't know it would be released right now, but of course it was, and I'm super sorry, and I will absolutely support Bernie Sanders. She didn't say that. She was like, oh, I thought you wanted me to be more authentic, and it's like, just stop talking. Like, please stop centering yourself, white woman. You are not the focus. You are not running for office. Yeah. The Democrats are trying to beat Donald fucking Trump, which you failed to do, and we don't need you pissing on anything or like riling up the Bernie supporters, mm-hmm. which is what you just did. Which is really easy Stop. to do. Stop. 
just fucking stop. So, like, I'm not giving her a fucking pass. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get one. It's stupid. It's bad. She handled it really badly. And I'm really mad at her. But on the flip side... Also. <laughs> not but. Also. Because all of the things I just said are true. Sure. Also. Yes. Y'all Bernie supporters need to stop running against Hillary Clinton. Well, it's the surrogates, I blame. Yes. The people on Twitter, even if they're checkmarked, whatever... Rashida Tlaib, who we we have a lot of respect for, love her, goes to Iowa, Iowa on the eve of the caucus, and says, "I'm gonna all you Hillary supporters out there." Then, by the way, who won in 2016 over Bernie Sanders with about 50 percent of the vote? I'm just gonna take a big steaming shit <clears throat> right on you. How do you like that? Do you like that? Come vote for Bernie. Is that? <laughs> Here's what I will say. <sighs> I am not going to shit on her. I'm not. Um, Take the high road. You're not. Gets to say what she's going to say. And like, I don't think that we get to criticize women of color. Yes. I don't think that we get to criticize women of color when they say things that we don't like. But I will criticize this as a campaign tactic. Well, sure, this, we well, can this, this strategy, right? Yeah. What what the fuck was this? Like I, she I gets to boo fucking Hillary Clinton, right? But like, I'll tell you what I think happened. A strategy is not to like go to Iowa. Which all a, white people, by the way, right? Like pretty left progressive woman of color and boo Hillary Clinton is not a good campaign strategy, in my opinion. No, I dislike very intensely all of the like tone policing that's happening for her on Twitter. Like I dislike a lot of especially white women's reaction to what she did. Sure. And the tone policing and the judgment and the like, is she appropriate in this situation? And is she being, is she being, is she, is she mature enough to have this role? Hold on. The tone policing is super infantilizing and racist. And I just want to get that out there. You're absolutely right. The problem is who shows up to vote in the fucking Okay, primaries? So now we're going to talk about 50 year old white women campaign strategy, right? Yes. I don't like the tone policing and I don't like the racist sort of dog whistling that's happening among white women about what she did. Yeah. Campaign strategy wise. Fucking what the fuck. Right. I think honestly, she was surrounded by Bernie supporters yeah. caught up in the moment yeah. and, and yeah. wanted, wanted some cheers. Yeah. Totally, Wanted right? To get the crowd fired up a little bit. And like, yeah, she doesn't like Hillary Clinton, and that's okay. She doesn't have to like Hillary Clinton, and like, she got caught up in the moment, and like. But then they all doubled down. Then she doubled right. down, and everybody else yeah. doubled down. Yep. And yeah. it's like, okay, so yeah. no, your your strategy is, fuck all you Hillary Clinton supporters, diehard, because they're still out there, and they're still miffed about. 2016 and they're still miffed at Bernie. They're super miffed about Trump. They're miffed about Benghazi. Like they're out there and you know, you're out there. I know, you know, they're out there cause you're bitching about them on Twitter all the time. So when I see these fucking Bernie people saying, Oh my God, my timeline is flooded with all these, uh, these centrist white women. Aren't they obnoxious? Like who the fuck do you think votes? Well, here's the, the fun thing that I read that I think was a really, really, really good take on this. The Bernie supporters are having a really hard time transitioning because Bernie is a leader in the field. Yeah. They're having a really hard time transitioning from... Insurgents. Underdog insurgents who are fighting against the machine to... The machine. Leader of the party and might win the nomination. Because, oh, we still, we hate the party and we want to destroy the party. But, like, that is a very necessary transition because you are not the insurgent. You are a leader 
in the nomination, you may very well win the nomination. And when you do that, you have to figure out how to get votes. You have to do that you now. Do, you don't. Right. There's, exactly. there's eight so, candidates. But this is my thing is like this person rightly pointed out, like they're used to this us against them, underdog guerrilla fighting, warfare. guerrilla warfare. Fuck everybody else. But like you guys are winning. So like you going to need to transition to like the country, like not even just like <laughs> like we have to start with like the whole Democratic Party and then like the whole country. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Bernie supporters know how to do that. They know how to fight and feel mad and feel miffed and sour grapes and like fight against the machine. But once they are the machine, I don't think they know what to do with it. Well, I don't think they know how to like win a general election. That was like in the show we really liked, right? When the uh, when the Black Panthers won, and then they're like, "Oh, now you have to run shit." Yeah. How do you do that? And they're like, "Uh." Right. <laughs> We're not sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd be the best people to figure I, it out. Yeah, they'd but... figure it out. But like, remember the the Japanese mafia guys? Like, you need me to keep the lights on, motherfuckers, because yeah. you don't know how to actually. And they're like, uh, "Well, you've never been in charge right. of anything." Yeah. Right. Yeah, you've always been fighting. Right. So, and so there there has to be a moment where the Bernie campaign has to say to itself, "Okay, we fought to get here, but now we're here." Yeah. And now we have to fight to like actually win and govern. And to Bernie's credit, he's not engaging directly with Hillary. He's saying the right things. He's yes. saying, of course, but he he has no control over his surrogates. No. And he he hired these awful surrogates that you know were very divisive and told people to vote for Jill Stein. And so like he's kind of made that bed for himself. Yeah, it's, and, and it's really a problem. And if now he's he, gonna have to dig himself if out. If he becomes the that's candidate, if you want to win, guys. I'm yelling at you, Bernie supporters, because I think I want him to win more than you do. Right. I may not vote for him in the primary, but if he's the candidate, I really, really, really want him to win. Really want him to win. I think I want him to win much more than you guys do. I think you guys just Wanna want to fight. fight, not actually win. Right. And like, and that, if you don't win, this is all pointless. Well, and like, I get that. Like, sometimes in like liberation struggle and movement struggle, like there, like movement work, like there is this this tenacity and this fight and this rage that and exists how you learn to that live. like mo- that moves it forward and like keeps the movement going but yeah. like once you make traction there has to be a way for you to be like okay yeah. now what now what and that's what i'm that's what i'm so worried about the Bernie an- campaign this, is what is now what yeah this anti-establishment anti-hillary anti-party elite fire that yeah is, like they don't know how to we need to that. transform that into okay. Now we're winning. What do we do? Like okay, good, you good question. To, now you have to build. Now you have to build coalition. You have to figure out a way to. Yes, the two party system sucks, but it's what we have. Right. So so, so now you have to figure out a way and, to. And Bernie knows that because yes. he chose to run in the fucking party. Right. He didn't <laughs> choose to run as a Democrat. He wasn't a as fucking an independent. Yeah, or as an independent. Right. He wasn't a fucking nader. Right. Right. He chose to run for the Democratic Party because he knows that that's the only way that you can actually become which the president. means he knows you're going to need those disgruntled Hillary supporters. That's right. The 50 year old. Yeah. Still Marge in Iowa, by the way, still for her, you know, right. hashtag. Right. Still with her. Yes. Like, <laughs> look, and some of them are they make the excuse like, well, we don't need them or we'll get all the young people out. We'll swamp them. It's like, no, I would love to believe that's true. But and we ain't. should try to do that. But like also Marge in Iowa is a Democratic voter and she's going to vote in the general at least. Or if you beat her, do you do you then want to like rub it in her face so she has to consider then sitting out the general because she right. hates the other She's candidate. She's not going to vote for Trump, right? Marge in Iowa hates that he wants to grab people by the pussies. But 
If you make her hate you enough, she's just going to not vote. Or she maybe she won't make calls on your behalf because she, she hates Bernie or she won't knock doors like she usually would. Like, yeah. there's so... Like, it's so short-sighted. It drives me fucking crazy. Like, yeah. I want to I shake these people, these Bernie people online and being like, why don't you want him to win? Right. Because that's not the goal. The goal and is I, to stir shit and I'm talk about I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about right? I'm not talking about walking back Medicare for all. I'm not no. talking about walking back any no. of the economic shit. No. I'm not talking about any of that. I no. am just talking about building an actual coalition with the, at the very least not pissing in their face of the people you will need to vote for you to win not just the general but the primary eventually. The primary but the general eventually. Yeah. Because because by Super Tuesday we could be down to two or three candidates. Yeah. And, and it's probably going to be Bernie, Biden, and Warren. And if Bernie ends up winning, I don't know any Biden or Warren supporters who are going to be super excited about him He'll if they keep pissing him. in your face. Yes, right? But yeah. they're not going to like... Knock doors and right. make calls and donate. No. And we need if all that. If you just piss in everybody's face that's not you because all you want is a fucking fight and all you want is to air your grievances and be right. Do you want to be right or do you want to win? Yeah. And right now, I the Bernie supporters, they feel like they just want to be right. And then they will twist the logic to make themselves believe that this will this will somehow win. And it's ridiculous. And right. it, yeah, I know. We got to take a break. <laughs> We're going to take a break. And uh, we got some local Colorado stuff to talk about and uh, whatever else. Comes I got to mind. some more stuff. Yeah, we'll be right back. Uh, we got some local politics to get to and just wanted to mention um, we're talking about Michael Bloomberg mm. who the DNC seems to want to change the rules for to put on the stage and I know exactly why and it's gross but I also think it might be not a terrible idea in the long run although it's gross now I what? don't know I, why because, because Bloomberg has pledged like once he's done which she will be probably by super tuesday or, or maybe he'll just spend all the money in the world and stay in the race forever that he is going to keep just putting ads and pumping in money to defeat trump no matter what but he has to fill he has to fulfill his um ego presidential cosplay thing first and i think he made a deal with tom perez <laughs> where he said i'm gonna keep pumping money to defeat trump and like you know make sure congress or flip the Senate or whatever, but you got to get me on that debate stage. And that's gross. Okay. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. The audacity. 
of white male egos. <laughs> Tell me about it. No. Like, just fuck you? Okay, so, like, can you imagine if anyone else did that? Like, no one else is rich I'm and egotistical so enough to. Angry that I'm having a hard time putting my thoughts into words. Um, Maybe Steyer is <clears throat> mad he didn't think of that. Although I think he's already on the debate stage. I think he already made it. I find it more and more difficult every day to defend the DNC. Um, almost impossible at this point to defend the DNC. Yeah. Um, I understand that it's very helpful to have a billionaire who wants to run anti-Trump ads. Mm -hmm. And so he should do that because that's the right thing to do. And the DNC being like, oh, let's do a trade here. And if you know you're not going to win the presidency, but you want your time on the debate stage, we'll just trade it for that. Mm. is the kind of thing that Bernie supporters and generally everyone finds really distasteful and potentially jeopardizes the legitimacy of the Democratic primary in a way that is really, really damaging to the general election. Mm -hmm. So Bernie supporters had a lot of disagreements with Donna Brazil and all the things back in 2016, right? And it became this thing that wasn't just like, it didn't just stay with the primary, it bled over into the general, right? Yeah. Like uh -huh. it, it bled over in a way that people just couldn't support the Democratic candidate, whoever it was, because they were so fucking pissed off at the DNC for their treatment and, and sort of handling of the primary. And we're trying to kind of repeat that. And now we're doing it in a much more blatant way because Trump's the president. So anything goes. <laughs> and now we're saying like people like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Julian Castro are not going to be on the debate stage. But this motherfucker that no one likes can literally buy his way on, can there. buy his way into the fucking debate and like I'm I'm having a really hard time like we were talking about this earlier but I think it bears mentioning like if we keep doing this the party keeps doing this Tom Perez and the DNC you will so destabilize the Democratic base that they will view the primary as rigged and will be so divisive that I'm afraid that a lot of people will stay home because they will feel like their guy didn't get a fair shake. And in this case, I would kind of agree with them. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're feeding into this notion that the primaries are rigged and that like our guy can't win because you can just buy your way onto the debate stage. But like you literally can and it's public now. So like we're, we're just eating ourselves alive. Yeah. Right. And I get that, like, it's important that a billionaire wants to make anti-Trump ads, but he should do that anyway. And you should tell him that mm -hmm. you should say to him, no, you should do that because it's important. And you've, you're a fan of the country, <laughs> right. but not because I'm going to let you on the fucking debate stage. Right. Yeah. I don't give I, a shit about you. I'm do it because it's important. If there's been enough pushback from that, that they might back off that now. 
once it was flooded. I haven't heard that. But I don't know. No, I haven't heard that. And like, it's really becoming hard. And what I'm really concerned about is like, I, you know, I was critical of people who were critical of the DNC back in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a more complicated and nuanced thing than we like to talk about. It's not an actual an election. It's like a private mm -hmm. club, blah, blah, blah. Right? We've all heard my rants on that. Mm -hmm. But like, this is just so flagrant and disappointing that like, I, I really am worried that people are going to, um, no matter the outcome, if their guy doesn't win, particularly among Bernie folks, you know, run that flag of like, this is, this is illegitimate. The DNC stole it from us. I'm not going to vote or I'm going to vote for somebody else or yeah. right. But and, it seems unlikely that he would lose to Michael Bloomberg. Well, that, but that's not the point, right? Mm. The point is that the, if Bernie loses, this will be a point of contention of why the primary was rigged yeah. by the DNC. Yeah. And so if Bernie doesn't win, then every Bernie supporter is going to uh, come out with like, like they did in 2016, right? With like lashing, angry, hate you, never gonna vote for whoever, white stuff. And, and like, it's kind of valid. Like it's not, right? But like it, it sort of is because the DNC is not doing us any favors here. Mm -hmm. The primary needs to be seen as a legitimate election for yeah. people to get on board with who, like vote blue no matter who, great. As long as it's seen as like a fair- That's legit. And legit primary. Yeah. That we actually, the voters picked the person and not the DNC picked the people that could do them the most favors. Yeah. And I understand like the strategy, but like it's it's a very bad look and 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 I, I'm concerned that they didn't learn anything from 2016. And people will have people currently have like legitimate beefs about how this is being handled. And I'm just wishing I could just be in a room for a minute with somebody and be like, don't, please don't do this. <laughs> Here's why. Yeah. Just don't do it. I know like his supporters are obnoxious and whatever, but like, please don't do this. Yeah. Please don't do it. On that topic. Um, I got an unsolicited text from, uh, Michael Bloomberg campaign. Hey, mm -hmm. Mike's going to be in town. Can want us to come meet him Mike. and see his new office? Mike, because he's just like you. No, I, I just kind of left. Um, but, yeah. I also want to talk for just a moment before we get off electoral politics about Joe Rogan. Oh, boy. So. Give the, give the backstory in case anybody missed it. Joe Rogan is a podcaster. Um, he was a former or current comedian, too. That was mm -hmm. a shtick, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And like a, I think, MMA guy for a minute. Anyway. Yeah, whatever. He's a macho white guy who mm. has a, a podcast. Who poses that, as a deep thinker. Yes. And um, has amassed a podcast support people of like millions mm -hmm. of white men mostly. Um, yeah, to, late 20s to early 40s white men are his demographic. Yes. But there are like millions. Mm -hmm. Like the Joe Rogan podcast is the most popular podcast in the world. Yeah. Um, well, they, yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, it, it just it, is. It's palatable to a lot of white guys because it's 
it has only a light dusting of racism and sexism and transphobia rather mm-hmm. than like just but in your face constantly. A little bit enlightened and mm-hmm. also encourages you to empower yourself through health, wellness, and taking your power back. Right. Um, interviews, like the podcast is not just him talking, it's him interviewing like really important people. Yeah, yeah. He gets people on his shows because it's a big listenership. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, so. I find him to be very distasteful. Um, if you don't know him, I would encourage you to look up like Joe Rogan scandals. But he like says the N word and doesn't understand why as a white guy he can't say it if black people <laughs> right. say it and like thinks that trans people are not like valid. Right. And like you know, women are basically just like women sluts. He did this entire segment sluts. on like all of your daughters in college are bisexual mm-hmm. and like how you feel about that but like no men could ever be bisexual because he did this um very scientific study where he interviewed four <laughs> people who were women two women and two men um about whether or not they'd ever experienced any like same sex sexual experiences in college mm-hmm. and both of the women said yes and both of the men said no and therefore therefore all women are bisexual all women in are bisexual no in college are. and like just slutty and like men could never possibly like touch a dick or that would make you a fucking fag right, right. Mm-hmm. that's his shtick and he does it and he couches it in this way that like it's very palatable to like average Joe white dudes. And mm-hmm. so he has an incredibly large readership or listenership. Mm-hmm. So Bernie Sanders went on his podcast and I have not listened to it because I find it to be, I just can't. Um, after that, a couple months after that, he recently just endorsed Bernie Sanders and said like, I think of all the people that are running, Bernie Sanders is my guy. Mm-hmm. The Bernie Sanders campaign took that running. Oh yeah. And made a campaign ad featuring Joe Rogan's endorsement. And a lot of us folks didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And there was a large social media pushback on Bernie Sanders being like, Joe Rogan's my guy. Cause like, what the fuck? Um, and so a lot of people, pushed back on that and said like we should and you know we should just like embrace his audience and be really glad that this person who has so much influence and all of these listeners mm-hmm. has endorsed our guy and like it's better for us to have him on our team than even somebody at, else's yeah, team. Yeah, even at Ezra Klein and Dave yeah. Weigel making <clears throat> these excuses. Right. Oh yeah, I know he's a shitbag, but yeah, he can help us win. He can't stop saying the N-word, but like maybe his listeners will push us over the edge, right? right? Um, so Joe Rogan got mad that people were mad about his endorsement because I think he sort of surrounds himself by these several million white guys who love him Mm -hmm. and any like criticism of him. He was just like, well, maybe we're better off with Trump. (laughs) And then he went on to say, um, which like, okay, that's who that guy is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then went on to say, you know, this podcast has gained too much, uh, power via uh, the numbers and we should avoid politics that like it could actually influence an election and I don't want to be involved in politics anymore yeah. and like I concur yeah. um, but I, I think it's hard for me to um, if I'm in the Bernie campaign and I'm talking to him I'm like okay like let him say that and don't say anything like, let him be in his crowd and let him 
do his thing, but we don't need to comment on that, right? Like, we don't need to say one thing or another about it. If a bunch of Joe Rogan supporters want to vote for Bernie Sanders because he told them to, because he tells them to do all kinds of crazy things, like, Fine, but we don't have, don't to have an orgasm for an entire month, or like, you know, eat this weird supplement that I'm selling, or whatever, <laughs> like, they'll do what he says, it's yeah. fine. But like, let's not tie ourselves to Joe Rogan, because I can pull up thousands of clips of him saying incredibly transphobic, misogynistic, homophobic, racist things mm-hmm. that like, I'll just run a ad against you based on that endorsement. Like, don't don't accept the endorsement. Just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. That's not what they did. They ran an entire campaign ad. And Fairweather friend that Joe Rogan may be came back and said, well, I guess I'll just vote for Trump because his supporters don't like me or whatever. So like, ugh, <laughs> ugh. I don't know. I just, that's happened, and it's just like... Yeah, there's that, and it was a nail in the coffin for me from the hipster New York, Brooklyn, you know, writer-slash-comedian crew who have just, it's they've just become Bernie sycophants, and, like, they used to be all about purity tests, and now, oh, why are you using purity tests? It's like, okay, you guys are just full of shit. And, like, going back to the first part, you don't actually want the guy to win. You just want to fight and bitch. Yeah. And, you know... Right. Because because really, I think what it comes down to is about um, this feeling of fragility. If Mm -hmm. we talk about identity politics, then we're talking about how I might be bad. But if we're talking about class, then like I'm amongst the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so if as long as I'm amongst the oppressed, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. If you ever point out my privilege, then I hate you. Mm -hmm. Right. But if we can use class in the way that Bernie has so carefully calculated done, then in class only, right, not intersectionality at all, but just class Mm -hmm. and economics, then I can still be an aggrieved member of society and have a voice and I'm allowed to bitch about shit. Mm -hmm. Because as like a pretty successful cis white non-disabled guy, I'm feeling a lot of heat lately, but Bernie lets me couch that in, well, I need my student loans forgiven mm-hmm. and I don't have free health care. Mm-hmm. So I'm aggrieved in the same way that like a black woman is aggrieved. Right. Oh, and that makes me, they feel, would never admit that. No, but that's where it comes from. Sure. Right. That's sure. exactly where it comes from. Sure. And so any like, you know, opposition to that just makes them go like, no, fuck you. Mm-hmm. So the Joe Rogan, Bernie Sanders thing doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. It's a well, perfect pairing. Yesterday's news at this point, Yeah, which hopefully this latest, you know, Tlaib, Hillary, Bernie dust up just yeah. goes away yeah. um, sooner or later. Anyway, you wanted to talk some Colorado politics. I do. All right. So to your point, elections have consequences. Yes. And the parties are different. <laughs> yes. And interestingly, we have a, a, a an interesting case here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So the Colorado state... Senate voted this week to overturn the death penalty in our state. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the big fight because the House is already, the House is overwhelmingly Democrat and in support, and the governor has the governor agreed to sign on. Sign it, yeah. um, but the really big fight and the really emotional fight um, happened in the Senate. And why I say emotional is that um, the Senate is controlled by Democrats, as is every part of our government in Colorado since 2018. Um, There is a senator, Rhonda Fields, uh, who I have mad respect for, and I Mm -hmm. 
love her, met her. Like, she's knocked doors with me. She's great. Yeah. Um, and when the vote came up, is fiercely and emotionally um, for the death penalty. And that is because her son and his girlfriend were murdered a number of years ago. And their murderers are on death row in Colorado currently. Mm-hmm. And so she made a very impassioned argument on the Senate floor for several hours um, about why the death penalty should be in place. Um, because, you know, she's a, a person who has, mur- you know, has her has had loved ones murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it affected the vote. Because um, she has a lot of friends. She's yeah, been there a while. She's, she's very influential. beloved. Mm-hmm. I love her. I don't know how hard it must have been for someone who knows her to listen to her plea and vote against her. Well, it's um, important to bring up that story because I'm sure a lot of people, if you just read the story without the context, it's just X number of Democrats voted against it. You'd be like, well, why the hell did that happen? Right. Like, oh, Colorado's the Old West. Yeah. No, it has nothing to do with that. Jesse Danielson, who I also have had some interaction with and is like a, you know, leader of our party in Colorado, voted no mm-hmm. without comment. Um, and I think that's largely in part because of her relationship with Rhonda Fields. And I get that. Like, I, I do. I do. I also don't think that we can legislate from something like this from that right Mm. I mean she was very critical of like I want you to come up here and defend this the sponsors of the bill to come up here and tell me why you think that we shouldn't have justice and safety and things like that and Mm -hmm. I I get that this is coming from like a very personal well um, I hope I hope they came up and reiterated that the death penalty affects people of color so much more and the rate of overturned death penalties didn't it was very tense and they 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 but like they were trying to be because she's a woman of color right she's a black woman yeah so you don't want to lecture her and right and and you could have done it and she arguing on behalf of like her son and and his girlfriend's murder like it's a very touchy thing and our senate is not a lot of people Mm. and so they're all very close and they know each other very well and it's really hard to say you're wrong, even in the face of you being a victim of this thing, right? You so there weren't off. a lot of like lofty arguments for, it was sort of just like very quiet, like I just don't think that the state should murder people. And like, I just think that like Nobody got up there violence, with the statistics. No. It was no, just that's, very that's like, it, well, I mean, but like, I think I get it, right? I mean, I understand why you don't want to go up there and lecture this woman who's an aggrieved mother who's mm-hmm. lost a child to murder and has her son's murderers on death row that mm-hmm. you don't want to be like, well, statistically, but right. Like, that's not the move. Um, but they stood their ground and ultimately um, the the bill was passed. There's going to be an uprising in the House about putting it to the voters. We're mm-hmm. very big on that in Colorado mm-hmm. on the Republican side. Let the voters decide, um, which is super annoying because this is not an issue that is necessary for the voters to decide on. This is a moral issue for me, um, which is that like the number of times we get it wrong mm-hmm. means that we shouldn't do it at all. And beyond that, I also don't think we should do it at all. That the state should be responsible for the murder of an individual member of the state. Um, But 
ultimately it will pass um, and Colorado will become the 22nd state to repeal the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that's something you're very passionate about, guess what? Elections matter. Yeah. Because not only had we not wouldn't have gotten this without a Democratic majority. We needed a large enough majority to overcome the fact that one of our senators had very personal reasons for... Personal, passionate, compelling reason for keeping it. And yeah, I think it was a really hard... I think it was a really, really hard day Mm. for our, our state Senate. And I'm glad they did the right thing. And I'm like endless compassion for Senator Fields and her family. Um, but I don't think that, like, I don't think that's why we do this, right? No. Yeah. So I feel I feel for her and her family, and um, it's also a, a really interesting and complicated case um, that's under some pretty severe appeal because of some prosecutors' uh, bullfuckery. So that mm-hmm. there's another level to that, which I think adds to her trauma, which I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, so local elections matter very deeply. And, you know, imagine if all of us voted in every local election and we had a bunch of Democrats running all the states and maybe we don't need the Supreme Court to say it's cruel and unusual. Maybe mm-hmm. we, every 50 state just decides that we shouldn't kill people. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been off the air for a couple of weeks. Did we ever talk about the ERA? I don't know. I'm not sure that we did. Anyway, in in terms of elections matter, so the Virginia State Assembly, Mm -hmm. and they're a little different because they're a commonwealth, finally was in Democratic control. And guess Mm -hmm. what? They were the requisite, I forget, 38th state to finally pass the ERA, like from the 70s, the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, I think we did talk about this. Maybe a little bit. But it's, it's still very complicated and has a long way to go. But now the door is open to the possibility of actually getting that passed. And I think it would be more than symbolic. What do you say about that? Unpopular opinion coming. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yes. I would like the ERA to be a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yes. I also... um, It's complicated, right? Because I think that we already have a lot of laws that protect women, and this is specifically sort of to women, mm-hmm. right? The ERA. Under like Title IX and Title Seven and a lot of other laws. And I think that those laws are often ineffective. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps having a constitutional amendment means that we could bring it to the Supreme Court, although mm-hmm. that's never gone our way um, as women. Um, I do think that my generation and the generation below mine um, sort of look at the ERA as white feminism mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that it really addresses issues specific to white middle class women and sure working, yeah right mm-hmm. um and it was really important to like our moms in the 70s that because you know like we didn't even have sexual harassment back in the day right? Like, right there was no protections for women in the workplace at all there was no protection for 
gay people. There was Mm -hmm. no protection for anybody about anything. And so it seemed critically important at the time. And it was massively disappointing that we didn't get it ratified. Um, And then with the extension, it didn't get ratified. And um, I think that, that if we were to do an ERA today, I would like to see it um, redone Mm -hmm. with a more sort of intersectional and inclusive lens about what the Equal Rights Amendment should mean in terms of like gay people and trans people and gender equality. But that's the problem, right? I mean, having to get it re-ratified and all that. Right. Well, I mean, this this is not ratified. So it expired in 1995. Mm -hmm. So technically, this is symbolic. Right. Um, Now, some people say that's not true. Republicans are already like suing people to like not let it go through. Um, I think <laughs> if we were really to do an equal rights amendment, it would need to be redrawn for the age that we're in mm-hmm. and to be more inclusive about what does gender mean, um, who's included in equal rights, um, and not necessarily have it. Not that it was necessarily about like. The law doesn't specifically say anything about white women, but it's really like focused on that group sure. who tried to pass it in the 70s and like more power to them. And like I stand on the shoulders of giants, like, mm-hmm. right. But like, I think that it would be better to to make it maybe like to maybe rethink it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, I think any effort against ratifying it, right, is really telling yeah this day and age yeah yeah what, what you know? why are you doing that except to be spiteful and do we want to really come out and say out loud like we don't want women to have equal rights to men well republicans do i mean back in the day the argument right was the equal rights amendment hurts women this mm-hmm. is phyllis shafley's argument right it hurts mm-hmm. women because it forces women into the workplace and prevents their protection from having to work um and prevents their protection from being housewives and mothers. That was her argument, right? Sure. Women held this sacred position in society of being able to stay home and care for their families and children. Mm -hmm. And the Equal Rights Amendment would take that away and make it so that women would have to work, which Mm -hmm. is absurd on its face and bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. But that was the argument back then. That was the sort of give and take, was women should have equal rights in the workplace and have equal responsibilities as well. And Phyllis Schlafly was like, no that takes away the sacred ground of 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 the homemaker and the mother well that's an argument and that's a different i mean i I just think the argument today would be much different than that right that would not be a thing that we would be talking about like nobody can really afford to have a housewife these days (laughs) i mean not nobody but most middle class and upper middle class families everybody works right right Mm -hmm. so i think that that would be a much different debate today than it was then and i think that maybe we need to just like tweak it a little bit Mm -hmm. to include like all gender identities and like, you know, yeah, make it a little more 21st century. Yeah. So we got a couple minutes left. I was going to talk about Kobe Bryant real quick. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I reached out to our friends, Michael and Sarah at You're Wrong About and said, have you thought about covering Kobe Bryant? Michael said he doesn't really follow sports, but uh, I showed him his really interesting story, which it is. Um, it's complicated. It's... Yeah. Um, He's got a complicated legacy. He was very credibly accused of rape of a woman right here in Colorado, yep. an eagle, which is in the, in the ski country. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, that case was settled out of court. They declined to press criminal charges. The civil case was settled. And the flip side of that is he's a guy who did a lot for, you know, the African-American community and a lot of the, you know, at-risk community, even though he himself came from an upper-middle-class background. So it's complicated. And I don't think there's an e- – like, you know what people like to do in the internet age is everybody – everything's black and white. Everybody's right. a hero or a demon. And right. there's no middle ground. Right. And there's no nuance. to talk about. You can't be more than – you can't be more than the worst thing you ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I – if I could, I'd like to read something from a black woman that I really appreciated and got some feedback on that was appreciated okay. about this exact thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is from Brandy Jasmine Mimiz, oh, Mimitzraim. Let's chat. We need to talk about intersectional analysis and how it plays out in our social media discussions. Intersectional awareness is literally being aware of the way that issues intersect across marginalized identities. It's noticing that issues both impact and are impacted by different <clears throat> sorry, locations on the web. And it's a web, not a ladder of marginalization. The system of oppression called hierarchy. Intersectional awareness analyzes an issue, a concept, a theme from one particular position on the web, noticing how all of the other threads on the web are impacted by that same issue. Intersectional analysis recognizes that privilege is interwoven through the web, mm-hmm. that we all have places and positions where we are privileged and are not, and yeah. it seeks to mitigate for that privilege by centering the identities, locations on the web, that are impacted most by any given issue. Intersectional awareness most by any given issue. Uh, sorry. Intersectional awareness is not about parsing out which places a person sits on at the web as much as it about noticing the oppression is systemic and every instance of marginalization reverberates throughout the system. It's the why of the quote y'all love to throw around. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. An intersectional analysis sees how that's true. Okay. And so, Kobe. I ain't never been a Kobe Bryant fan, won't never be. But if we're going to tell the truth about who he was, we need to tell the whole truth. He raped her. That's it. End of discussion. He raped her. Mm. And like 99% of rapists, he was never convicted. He paid his victim restitution. Literally. Restitution doesn't make her whole. It doesn't unrape her. But restitution is also justice. And then? Then he grew up. He advocated for women athletes. And you all know that advocating for professional women athletes is also advocating for queer black women. Mm -hmm. And that's where my priority is. Be clear where I stand. He built institutions to serve marginalized children. He meant hope and promise to black people. He meant hope and promise to poor people. He meant hope and promise to people of color worldwide. If your position on the web doesn't allow you to see Kobe Bryant's impact on the rest of the web, your analysis is flawed. Mm. I've seen lots of middle-class women analyzing Kobe's impact on mostly white women. It's a gross oversimplification of his life. It's a flawed analysis of rape culture. It's a demonstrated lack of intersectional awareness. It's what white feminism does. Ignore everyone but themselves for the sake of their own pain. No one can afford that. I cried. My kids hugged me and gave me space. No one is asking you to cry. I am asking, though, that as you move through these easy streets, trumpeting your wokeness, gloating and being woker than thou, 
that you use an appropriate analysis of who and what Kobe Bryant was to, in, and for people throughout his web of oppression. Because he was just a rich rapist, as lazy and intellectually dishonest. So. Where do we go from there? I don't know. I, I don't think there is anywhere to go from there. I think these are the arguments that we should bring to light. And we know how the age of social media works. People are going to stake their opinions and it's going to be tough to be on a middle ground. And it's tough for people to accept nuance. Um, yeah. You know, because then, then you don't have, then you don't have a faction to fall in that's easy. Right. Right. Not, like there's not a lot of factions in the in the life is nuanced party. <laughs> no, know? I but am not saying that he's not a rapist. I'm saying he is a rapist, and that's awful. Mm-hmm. And th- her treatment during the course of the trial was abhorrent. Yeah. And what the defense team did to her um, was awful. Which is right up you're wrong about Sally. Which it, I thought, yeah, they, why they and like it was just horrifyingly bad, right? Mm-hmm. And we can get into that in a later episode if we want to dig deeper. But it was really, really bad. Like, just accusing her basically of being a slut. And she had another man's semen in her underwear when she came forward two days later. And she was like, I just wore a dirty pair of underwear because I was fucking just got raped and stressed out. And, like, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Insinuating that it's not possible for a woman to have been raped and then, like, also have sex ever again in your life. Well, look at the Weinstein um, trial. It's impossible for women to be raped and then have contact with a rapist afterwards right. is their defense, right? Right, yeah. Like, this is not how life works. And I, all the women that are listening to this are just like, ugh, because that's no. not how fucking life works. Nope, it sure isn't. And, like, men don't understand that. If someone rapes you, you don't talk to them. Well, then I don't talk to men. Like, that's just <laughs> not how fucking life works. Oh, I don't talk to my boss. I don't talk to the person who signs my checks. I don't talk to the father of my children. I don't talk, like... Right. Life is... I don't talk to this person who might kill me if I ignore them. Like, yeah, it just it, life doesn't work the way that men think it works. No, no, because they've never been on the other side of it. Yeah, for the most part. Right. All right, that's about going to do it for us. Um, we covered a lot of ground. I think um, so. We had a lot to talk about. Uh, we'll be back when we're back. We can't promise it'll be next week, but it might be. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Life's hoping. Just, I'm hoping. Life's a little crazy these days. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Yeah. Also might be a, a new podcast in the works. I wouldn't say a spinoff. I'd say something much lighter. <laughs> much lighter. We're going to try to have some fun. I would like to have a call out to our listeners if I can for a second. Um, if you were born in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, and there is stuff that you used to love when you were a kid that you haven't revisited uh, and would like to revisit and like figure out if it's still good or not uh we're gonna try to do that Mm -hmm. so tweet at us send us uh, dms whatever email um things that you liked when you were a kid that you'd like to reevaluate and we'll check them out um and and have a little bit of fun so it's not always so sad (laughs) all right i've been travis i'm rachel talk to you next week bye